0: Thank you. Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Thangam Debonair.
1: Yeah. Question number 1, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I'm sure I'm sure that the whole house will want to join me in wishing the England football team the very best for their game against Norway tomorrow. Mr. Speaker. Mr Speaker, this morning my office hosted a reception to mark Armed Forces Reserves Day, and this coming Saturday we celebrate Armed Forces Day. This is an opportunity for us all to pay tribute to our servicemen and women here and around the world for their dedication and service, and to those who have served in previous generations. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. Later today, my right honourable friend the Chancellor and I will travel to Japan for the G20 Leaders Summit. With the threat of climate change putting future generations at risk, vile terrorist propaganda continuing to spread online, and rising tensions in the Gulf, this summit is an opportunity to address global challenges affecting all our nations. As the thousands of people demonstrating outside will tell you, tackling climate change and biodiversity makes the world safer, more beautiful and sustainable for our children and grandchildren. Does the Prime Minister agree that one of the first acts of the next Prime Minister should be, urgently, a new Environment and Climate Change Bill, putting into place all the recommendations of the Committee on Climate Change to meet net carbon zero, making the world a more beautiful place? Uh, Can I say to the Honourable Lady, uh, that we have, in, we are introducing an environment bill as a government. We have introduced a 25-year environment plan. I think for the first time that uh, any government has done that. We have committed to net zero emissions by 2050. That has gone through this House. But the question she needs to think about is why is the Labour Party in the House of Lords trying to block the net zero in 2050 <laughs> legislation?
0: <laughs> Julian Sturdy.
1: Thank you, it's Thank you, Mr
0: Speaker. One of the biggest restraints on what is a very positive economy in York and North Yorkshire is the lack of progress on devolution. Following the rejection of the One Yorkshire proposal, does the Prime Minister agree with me that we need to have a more local approach, such as a York and North Yorkshire deal, to rival those of the big
1: urban centres? Well, can I I say to my hon. Friend, I, I absolutely recognise, as we do across government, the enthusiasm and dedication in Yorkshire for devolution and the potential seen there for harnessing local people's sense of identity with Yorkshire and we share the ambition of doing what is best for Yorkshire, its people and its businesses. My right hon. Friend, the Communities Secretary, has now met with Yorkshire leaders. Discussions are continuing about a different localist approach to devolution, and officials are having initial meetings with councils, including York, and will be interested in hearing their ambitions for devolution. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr Speaker.
2: I hope the whole House will welcome today's mass climate lobby that is coming to Parliament today. And we should be proud of it. This House, after all, became the first parliament in the world to declare a climate emergency. And I want to pay tribute to the young people and young climate strikers that have done so much to raise awareness of this issue. And I hope members will take the chance today to meet those that are coming to lobby and learn from them because they feel very passionately on the issue. I also acknowledge it's Armed Forces Day and the celebrations are going on this week and I think we should be concerned about the welfare of both serving and former serving members of our armed forces. And I join the Prime Minister in congratulating the Lionesses for reaching the quarter of the Women's World Cup and wish them well tomorrow night against Norway. Mr Speaker, I welcome the judgement of the Court of Appeal last Thursday against UK arms sales to Saudi Arabia. The court found that the government had, and I quote, made no concluded assessments of whether the Saudi-led coalition had committed violations of international humanitarian law during the Yemen conflict and made no attempt to do so. Does the Prime Minister dispute that finding?
0: Here
1: we go. We continue to operate one of the most robust arms export control regimes in the world and we take our responsibilities on arms export licensing very seriously. Indeed, in the words of the 2017 judgment, the Government engaged in anxious scrutiny, indeed at what seems like anguished scrutiny at some stages. We are disappointed that the Court found against the Government on one ground, and we will be seeking permission to appeal this judgment. Jeremy Corbyn. Mr. Speaker, uh,
2: Germany, as an EU member state, has banned arms exports to Saudi Arabia. So has Denmark. And both the U.S. Senate and House of Representatives have voted to ban arms exports as well. The UN describes the situation in Yemen as, and I quote, humanity's biggest preventable disaster. And the government sees fit to continue selling arms to Saudi Arabia during that situation. So can I ask the Prime Minister a very simple question? Does she believe there are serious ongoing violations of international humanitarian law by
1: Saudi Arabia in Yemen? Yes Yes or no? The the right honourable gentleman knows very well that we consider these issues very carefully when we are dealing with these arms export licences, as has just been quoted by the court. But he references the situation in Yemen. This cannot go on. We need a political settlement in Yemen. Yep. I would remind the right honourable gentleman that the Saudi-led intervention was at the request of the legitimate president of the Yemen following a rebel insurgency which overthrew the internationally recognized government and the intervention has been acknowledged by the United Nations. Now my right honourable friend, my right honourable friend the foreign secretary held a Yemen Quad meeting on Saturday uh, expressing concerns at escalating tensions. But what do we see the Labour Party do? One of his MPs was inviting rebel leaders of the insurgency into the House of Commons. Yet again, Labour on the wrong side of the argument. Jeremy Corbyn. The Prime Minister does not appear
2: to understand the depth of feeling at the UN parliaments around the world and even the US Senate and House on this situation. The UN itself has warned that by the end of 2019, if the war continues, 230,000 people would have lost their lives, 140,000 of which are children under the age of five. The UK and EU law states that the government must, and I quote, not grant a licence if there is a clear risk, that the t- items used might be used in the Commission of a serious violation of international humanitarian law. The government said they'd used the following criteria to judge that, and I quote, an understanding of Saudi military procedures, continuing engagement with the Saudis at the highest level, and Saudi public commitments to international humanitarian law. So if the Saudi government says they're respecting human rights, Do we then ignore all evidence on the ground in Yemen and continue to sell weapons to this regime, which has led to this appalling death toll already in this conflict?
1: I say to the Right Honourable Gentleman, first of all, as I have made clear, we are seeking permission to appeal the recent judgment. But the judgment is not about whether the Government made the right or wrong decisions, but about the decision-making process and whether it was rational. So we are considering the implications of the judgment alongside uh, the uh, Permission to appeal that we're seeking. And while we do this, we won't grant any new licenses for exports to Saudi Arabia and its coalition partners, which might be used in the conflict in Yemen. But he talks about the conflict in Yemen. As I've just said, let's remember what happened, why we are seeing this conflict in Yemen. It was the overthrow of the internationally recognized government by rebel insurgents. There is, we are all concerned. We are all concerned we are all concerned about the humanitarian situation in Yemen that is the Shadow Foreign Secretary might like actually as this is an area of concern to her remit to actually listen to what the government is doing
2: order,
0: Order! the questions must be heard and the answers must be heard, The Prime Minister.
1: We are all concerned about the humanitarian situation in the Yemen. That is why, since the start of the conflict in 2015, our total commitment to Yemen now stands at £770 million. We are one of the major contributors to support for the humanitarian effort. Uh, ultimately, The only way to resolve this issue is through a political settlement, and that is why we are supporting the efforts of the UN Special Envoy, Martin Griffiths.
2: If that's the case, why is the government appealing the judgment instead of promoting a peace settlement in Yemen? Since 2016, Mr Speaker, for three years... For three years, United Nations experts have been saying that the Saudi coalition has violated international humanitarian law in Yemen. This air campaign has killed tens of thousands and injured and displaced many more. The government says there can be no military solution to this particular conflict. There can only be a negotiated and political solution. If that is the case, why have they pumped £4.6 billion of military equipment into this brutal bombardment already?
1: Yes. I say to right hon. Gentleman, what we do, we do believe, as I've just said, I've said in answer to his last question, I said it, I think, in answer to the first question that he gave me, that... The only way to ensure the security and stability of Yemen for the future is through a political settlement. That is why this government, that is why this government is supporting the work that is being done by the UN Special Envoy Martin Griffiths. That is why we are continuing to use our diplomatic efforts, including, as I said, the Foreign Secretary holding a Yemen quad on Saturday, to encourage others around the table. We are very clear, we support the efforts to secure the agreement by the parties to the conflict to implement the Stockholm Agreements. That is an important part of the process leading to peace and a political solution. We need to ensure that work is essential so that progress can be made at the next round of peace talks, and so that humanitarian supply lines can be opened up.
2: Jeremy Corbyn. was so there a trade secretary who said there could not be a military solution to this conflict? Surely the government should think on this and stop the sale of arms to Saudi Arabia. Just last week, the UN Special Rapporteur Agnes Kalamad said there is credible evidence that the Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman and other high-level officials are personally responsible for the horrific murder of Jamal Khashoggi. Does the Prime Minister
1: accept that assessment? So, uh, right, gentlemen. We do want to see accountability for this horrific murder. I raised the death of Jamal Khashoggi with King Salman at the Sham Summit. Uh, that is the second time I have done so. I have raised it with the uh, Crown Prince at the G20 last year. I have stressed the importance of those responsible women held to account, of due process being followed. We expect Saudi Arabia to take the action necessary to ensure such violations of international and national laws can't happen again. The right direction, the right way to take this, is through a judicial process, and we're obviously closely following the uh, continuing investigation. We expect it to proceed in line with internationally recognised legal standards. Jeremy
2: Corbyn. Mr Speaker, there is overwhelming evidence that war crimes have been committed in Yemen by Saudi Arabian forces a state that flouts every human rights norm at home and abroad. Its government believes that it can kill with impunity journalists or civil rights campaigners, Yemenis or Bahrainis. It funds extremism around the world. But the UK has supplied them with over four and a half billion pounds worth of deadly weapons. UK weapons which have been used in indiscriminate attacks on civilians in which over 200,000 people have been killed. And hundreds of thousands more stand on the brink of famine, of starvation and of death from wholly preventable diseases. Surely, Mr Speaker, the Court of Appeal... The Court of Appeal Judgment should be a wake-up call to the Prime Minister and the Government. So instead of appealing the judgment, why not accept the judgment and stop arms sales to Saudi Arabia now and bring about peace in the Yemen and save
1: those lives? The Right Honourable Gentleman says to me, bring about peace in the Yemen. It's exactly what we are working with our international partners to do through the United Nations and through the Yemen Quad. But also, the Right Honourable Gentleman is talking about the uh, relations that we have with uh, Saudi Arabia. That is a relationship that has saved lives of British citizens in the past. Uh, But let's just look at some of the relationships that that the Right Honourable Gentleman supports. When people were killed in Salisbury his sympathies were with Russia. When terrorists were killing when terrorists were killing our people his sympathies were with the IRA. And in the recent tanker attacks in the Gulf his sympathies were with Iran. He never backs Britain and he should never be prime minister. Mr. Bradley!
0: I'm a firm believer that youth work is part of the answer to so many issues in our society and has a huge role to play in my Mansfield constituency, but currently we're at risk of losing vital youth work qualifications. The review of these qualifications was announced on April 1st, but the funding has been delayed in the system. If it's not secured, we're in danger of seeing universities and colleges drop these qualifications from 2020. So, will my
1: right honourable friend ensure that this funding signed off immediately so we can continue to train amazing youth workers? Yeah. Well, my, my honourable friend has raised an important issue and the importance of the uh, proper training of these youth workers. We are absolutely committed to properly qualified and trained youth sector. Uh, and, uh, subject to a business case, we have committed. To renewing funding for these qualifications and reviewing the youth work curriculum. I know DCMS are in very close contact with the National Youth Agency and aware of the timing issues and hope to make an announcement on this in the near future.
0: In Blackford! Aye. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and can I associate myself with the remarks of the Prime Minister with our reservists. I am happy today to be supporting a badge on supporting uh, Nazadine Zaghari Radcliffe and I hope in the days that the Prime Minister has left in office she will do what she can to secure the release of Nazim from jail in Iran. And I hope the Prime Minister will join many of us outside Parliament today in support of the climate justice activists. And I have to say to the Leader of the Opposition that it was the Scottish Government that was the first government in the UK to declare a climate emergency, and I hope that the UK responds to the leadership that Scotland is giving on this issue. Mr Speaker, do or die, come what may. Those are the words of the Prime Minister's likely successor. The truth behind the Brexit chaos in the Tory party is encompassed in those words. The Tory dream is to drag us out of the European Union, no matter what the cost. Prime Minister, before you exit office, will you pledge to never vote for a successor willing to impose a devastating no-deal
1: Brexit on all of us? Oh, I have to remind the right honourable gentleman yet again that he is due to ask me questions about my responsibilities as Prime Minister and I would remind him yet again that as Prime Minister I voted three times in this House to ensure that we could take the UK out of the European Union with a deal that was good for the whole of the United Kingdom and he voted effectively for no deal
0: yeah. yeah, Blackford My goodness, it's no wonder she's leaving, that was no answer to her question <laughs> Prime Minister is showing gross cowardice. On the one hand, the Tories are asking people to put their faith in the most incompetent foreign secretary in a century. A man who has made a career out of lying. Who has spent his week avoiding the media. In our history. A man, a man who, who writes books on privatising our NHS. Mr. Speaker, the Conservatives clearly don't like the truth. Someone so desperate for a chance as his 30 year Downing Street fantasy that he's. Uh, I think the Right Honourable Gentleman has concluded his inquiry. Well, well if he. Oh, Order! Order! If he hasn't, he needs to do so in a single sentence. Order! I don't... Mr Cowan! I'm sure you're a well-intentioned fellow, but I require no counsel from you. One sentence. We've got a lot of questions to get through. A sentence. Well done. Mr Blackford. (laughs) Mr Speaker, in her last days in office... Will she finally act in the best interest of these islands, not the Conservative Party, and admit that neither of the candidates for office should ever be elected Prime Minister?
1: Can I say to the Right Honourable Gentleman, either of the candidates for this high office would do a darn sight better job than anybody sitting on any of those. the announcements that the Prime Minister and the Secretary of State for Work and Pensions made yesterday, would my right honourable friend update the House about some of those plans and how she feels that they will enable more people living with disabilities and health conditions to play their full part in our society? Can I first of all thank my honourable friend for the work that she did as Minister for Disabled People, which uh, set a lot of the groundwork for the announcement we were able to make on the disability strategy Strategy. There are many disabled people in our society who would love to actually be able to get into the workplace. One of the key issues underpinning that strategy is uh, support for people to enable them to take their full role in society, to get into the workplace, to ensure they have access to the support that they need. I am very proud of the fact that nearly that something like 950,000 more disabled people are now in the workplace thanks to the actions of conservatives in government uh, there is more for us to do the disability strategy sets our path to do that and enable disabled people to play their full role in our society caroline flint thank you, thank you mr speaker almost every infrastructure project across the uk requires British-made steel. The contracts for the next five years alone are worth £1 billion. But yesterday UK Steel and Community Trade Union members were asking me if the Scunthorpe Steelworks will still be working in five days' time. Will the Prime Minister guarantee that a month from now, before she leaves office, the Scunthorpe Steel Works will still be open. Well, can I say to the right hon. Lady we are concerned about the situation in, in relation to the Scunthorpe Works in relation to British Steel. That's why my right hon. Friend, the Business Sec- Secretary, is engaging actively uh, with uh, the official receiver. Obviously, there is, the official receiver has a responsibility in relation to this matter, but we are doing all that we can as a government, and I uh, was pleased to meet with, a num- obviously, as she knows, a number of members of parliament who have uh, steel interests in their constituencies to talk about the real impact that the closure of the works would have on people. That's why we're working so actively to try to ensure that we can retain employment in those area. Duella Braverman. Mr. Speaker, yeah. I'm due to give birth any day now. Yeah an emergency in the Commons, <laughs> uh, but can I just put on record my thanks to you, the former Leader of the House, this Government and cross-party MPs who have delivered the proxy voting scheme which will enable my constituents to be represented during my maternity leave. Mr. Speaker, 11 year old Ruby Lloyd at Hook, from Hook with Warsash Primary School is campaigning for a pedestrian crossing on Warsash Road to encourage more pupils to walk to school, thereby improving road safety and air quality. Hundreds of local residents support her campaign, her headmistress supports her campaign, and so do her councillors. Will my right honourable friend get behind Ruby's campaign for safer roads yeah. in Fairley? Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: can, I, can I first of all say to my hon. Friend that we wish her the very best for the upcoming birth? Uh, and uh, Can I also say that I, I have uh, a certain satisfaction, having played a little role in bringing, uh, ensuring that she and her uh, husband actually <laughs> got married, as she acknowledges? Um, can I say on the issue that she uh, has referred to uh, of uh, Ruby? First of all, it is very good to see young people caring passionately about their local area and campaigning for their local area. And it is vital, obviously, that children can go to school in a safe environment. Of course, this is an issue for the local authority. But I would just like to wish Ruby the very best for her campaign.
0: Nick Thomas-Simmons. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Universal Credit is causing great hardship in my constituency. It is driving up debt. It is increasing food bank use. It is making people who are out of work worse off and people who are in work worse off. In her final weeks in office will she act to halt the rollout of this failed policy or will she simply leave this injustice burning?
1: I just say to the hon. Gentleman, what lay behind Universal Credit was changing our benefit system. The legacy system we inherited from uh, the Labour Party was one where over a million people were left on benefits for nearly a decade. What Universal Credit does is helps people into work and ensures that when they are in work, they are able to earn more. 200,000 more people in work. A million disabled people getting more money as a result of universal credit, 700,000 people getting the benefits they are entitled to as a result of universal credit. This is a policy that is working.
0: I know we're coming up to one of your favourite times of the year with Wimbledon starting next week, and many members have already been enjoying hitting a few balls on the courts in New Palace Yard. So will my right honourable friend take this opportunity to wish all the British players the best of luck in the championships and also welcome the announcement from the Lawn Tennis Association of two hundred and fifty million pounds for ninety six new indoor tennis centres to open up the sport to three more three million more people across the UK. Yeah.
1: Well can I can I thank my honourable friend for very in a very timely fashion raising this issue? I certainly wish all the very best to all the British players who will be participating in Wimbledon. I would like to congratulate Andy Murray for his win in the doubles at Queen's uh, at the weekend. Um, I understand that there is an exhibition of tennis taking place here in Parliament today uh, with the Paddock School. From Putney taking part in that, and it's very good to see young people uh, having that experience and having that opportunity. I welcome the LTA, the fact that the LTA is directing funding across the whole country to where it's needed most to grow the sport from the grassroots up. Mr. Khalid Mahmoud. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. A recent YouGov poll into Islamophobia
0: within the Conservative Party shows an astounding level of racism. Almost 50% polled would not want to see a Muslim Prime Minister. Only 8% would be proud if there was one. 67% believe racist myths about Muslim communities, and yet 8 out of 10 don't think this is a problem. In light of this, and as one of her final acts of her premiership, will the Prime Minister finally agree to commission an external inquiry into Islamophobia within her increasingly nasty party?
1: I say to the honourable gentleman, we take... We take any allegations of Islamophobia uh, very seriously in the Conservative Party. Every allegation is properly investigated. We have seen my right honourable friend, the chairman of the Conservative Party, take swift action. We have seen people suspended from the party. We have seen people excluded from the party. And I would just say to the honourable gentleman that it is in direct contrast to the way in which the Labour Party deals with anti Semitism. Indeed. Indeed, it is, it is easier to be kicked out of the Labour Party for voting Liberal Democrat than for being anti Semitic. Alistair Birch! Speaker, there,
0: there is a risk that complex conflicts thousands of miles away can sometimes appear deceptively simple at Westminster. Does my right honourable friend share my surprise that the Leader of the Opposition did not mention the Human Rights Watch had said last week? that it was a potential war crime of Houthi drones targeting civilian targets in Saudi Arabia. And the World Food Programme has recently suspended suspended aid uh, in Houthi-controlled areas because of its diversion, aid workers not being allowed into Houthi areas, and aid being diverted to enrich Houthi, Houthi forces. Is it not the case that it is best to recognise the horrors of war on all sides and concentrate not on being one-sided but getting getting fully behind the tireless efforts of Martin Griffiths to seek peace in Yemen and support those efforts
1: and bring this conflict to an end? Well, can I thank my right hon. Friend with his experience in the Foreign Office. He uh, has seen and knows the complexities of these issues and he's absolutely right uh, that it is important that we look at what is happening in the Yemen and we recognize the actions that the Houthis have been taking as well that is why it is so important to bring both sides around the table to ensure that we can get that agreed peace settlement and uh, uh, find uh, supporting Martin Griffiths the UN special envoy in his efforts to bring the parties around the table and uh, he references the humanitarian aid I said earlier the extent of humanitarian aid we've given. One of the great problems we've had to address is the way in which it is not always possible to get that aid to the people who need it most. Not because of our inability, because of the uh, insurgents, the way in which the Houthis are preventing that aid getting to the people who need it most. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. <coughs> Brexit uncertainty is hitting manufacturing businesses in my Lincoln constituency, and local managing directors have told me that no deal will be. Absolutely catastrophic for them, for their exports to Europe, and it will put local jobs at risk. One firm has even put workers on short time working already, temporarily. Does the Prime Minister accept that her government, and I include in this statement either of her likely successors, have made a catastrophic no deal Brexit a more likely outcome? I wanted to deliver Brexit with a deal. I bought a deal to this House, and the Honourable Lady and her colleagues voted three times against that deal. Andrew Griffiths! Um, on, on
0: Monday, 160 years of food production on the same site in Burton ended with the announcement of the closure of the Kerry food plant in my constituency, affecting 900 jobs in both Burton and in the constituency of my friend from South Derbyshire. The Prime Minister will obviously uh, have great sympathy for all of those workers who are concerned about their future, concerned about paying their mortgage, the holidays they have booked uh, and their families. Will she commit to a cross cross department task force to try and help ensure we not only get those 900 people back into work, but we find a new use for that plant in Burton?
1: Well, obviously, as my hon. Friend says, I am sure this is going to be a very worrying time for the employees of Kerry Foods and their families. I understand that ministers from the Department for Business Energy and Industrial Strategy are speaking to my hon. Friend to discuss the situation. They will work with DEFRA and with housing communities and local government to explore the various options. We will also want to work closely with businesses and local partners to ensure those affected are well supported, and indeed to explore options for the future of the site. and uh, our thoughts are with those who will obviously be very concerned at this time. Jay Stevens! Yeah. Mr Speaker. Uh, seven-year-old Talia Belaid, who is the daughter of my constituent, Gosia Simanovic, was abducted by her father and taken to Libya in 2012. The father returned here without Talia, and she remains in Libya with his mother. He was jailed but released on licence in 2017, and he's now absconded and is not reporting to the Home Office. All Gosha's legal avenues have been exhausted, and she is really desperate. Will the Prime Minister please use every channel available during her final weeks in office to secure Talia's return to her mother in the yes. UK? Yes. I say to the Honourable Lady, obviously she's outlined this uh, case here in the, in the House. I will ensure that this is a matter that is, that is looked into properly by Department Concerned.
0: Andrew Mitchell. Mr Speaker, on the Yemen-Saudi catastrophe that is taking place... Isn't it the case that Britain should move to a position of far greater neutrality, supporting a comprehensive ceasefire? And while Britain is absolutely right to condemn the Houthi attacks on Riyadh and Jeddah, should we not also condemn the night-after-night bombings by the Saudi aircraft
1: which are killing innocent civilians and radicalising tens of thousands of young Yemenis. With our now, I say to my right honourable friend, we have supported, we have called for a ceasefire, we've supported the efforts that have been made for a ceasefire, we've supported those efforts around Hodeida, a very important port, obviously, for getting humanitarian relief in. But this is why it is so important that we continue to work with our international partners and with the UN Special Envoy to bring about that ceasefire, to enable the parties to come round the table, to get the political settlement, which is the only way to ensure the future security and stability of Yemen.
0: Kerry McCarthy!
1: Yeah. Yeah. On Friday, Mr Speaker, a 14-year-old girl with autism and a learning disability was placed in a secure mental health unit 150 miles from home. A mother's already had to stop work and her parents are now trying to scrape together the money to find temporary accommodation there so they can be near their child. Does the Prime Minister not agree that we really need decent, trusted facilities in every community for distressed children so that families don't have to go through this? Yeah. Well, the the Honourable Lady makes a very important point, and obviously the emphasis that we are putting in the uh, National Health Service on dealing with mental health and on improving the support that is available to mental health is a part of this. We are looking, and uh, I held a a round table... uh, to looking at the outcomes of the review that we have had on the Mental Health Act, uh, where exactly these sorts of issues about the type of circumstances in which people were being uh, being provided for was raised. and This is something that the NHS is looking at very carefully, and we are ensuring that there is uh, funding available for further facilities to be provided. Mary Robinson. Mr Speaker, this afternoon I will meet with my child constituents who have travelled down to Westminster as part of the Christian Aid Climate Change Lobby. With her world-leading commitment to a net zero target by 2050. The Prime Minister has shown that we are already leading the way. As we leave the EU, will she also urge her successor to put the environment at the heart of the Brexit negotiations? Well, can I uh, thank my honourable friend for raising this issue and can I also uh, congratulate those of her Cheadle constituents who are coming down to Westminster today to discuss this very important issue. We will... The Government has made a major step, as she says, by legislating for net zero. I hope that the Labour efforts to stop this in the House of Lords will not be successful um, so that we can actually ensure that that legislation is signed and we will make every effort as we leave the European Union, working with our European partners and others, to ensure that we put this at the forefront of discussions and that the right uh, approach is taken to it by countries around the world.
2: Thank you, sir. I appreciate that the uh, Prime Minister is slightly distracted by the intoxicating emotion of imminent freedom and release. Uh, But but while she's still running the country, uh, could she spare a thought for the 1.3 million FOMOs in our nation? FOMOs of course being pensioner households missing out right. and the Prime Minister will be aware that today that excellent charity Independent Age are actually seeking to support the campaign for the 3.5 million unclaimed pensioner uh, benefits yeah, yeah, according yeah, to the DWP's yeah, yeah. own figures. Would. My honourable friend, would the, or would the Prime Minister agree with me that this 3.5 million should not be left to fructify in the coffers of the Treasury but should
1: flow to the FOMOs?
0: Yeah! <laughs> <laughs>
1: Can I thank the uh, Honourable Gentleman for his question, which was put with his normal and natural theatricality in the uh, the Chamber. Um, As he will have seen, the Chancellor of the Exchequer will actually have heard the question that he has has put. Obviously, we want to ensure that people who are entitled to benefits actually are in receipt of uh, of those benefits. But I would also say to the Honourable Gentleman that this Government can be proud of the record of what we have done for pensioners through the triple lock and various other ways such that pensioners are pensioners are
0: £1,600 a year better off under this Government? Sir John Hayes uh, Mr Speaker, today's mass lobby is about sustainability but there can be no economic health <laughs> nor communal well-being while soulless supermarkets make places ubiquitous whilst exploiting my Lincolnshire farmers and growers and while heartless internet giants crush their small competitors so will the Prime Minister use the tax system to redistribute power away from those heartless, soulless, corporate monoliths to all that is small and eclectic and local and particular. For, Mr Speaker, as you know, Schumacher said, small is beautiful.
1: Can I say to my right hon. Friend, he makes an important point about the importance of small businesses, the importance of local independent shops on our high street. Uh, We want to see those businesses supported. That is why, of course, we have taken steps uh, already, for example, in relation to business rates. It is also why, for those who are concerned about the uh, internet and the way the internet is being used to undermine uh, some of those small businesses in terms of the retail environment, we are, of course, taking action in relation to those digital companies. Emident Code! Thank you, Mr Speaker. While the Conservative Party leadership candidates tour the country offering unicorns, the Prime Minister may be thinking about her legacy. Will the Prime Minister please listen and act on the entirely reasonable demands of all those affected by Grenfell-related issues and finally commit commit to fund retrofitting of sprinklers on all residential buildings and others where vulnerable people live or work? give clarity on installation upkeep of external building insulation, adequately fund our fire and rescue services, and set up a social housing regulator with teeth. The public may thank you for it. Can I say to the Honourable Lady, obviously we are looking across the board there's a number of issues that have been raised as a result of the terrible tragedy that occurred at Grenfell Tower, which we have already acted on and we are continuing to work as I said, indicated in response to her right honourable friend, the Leader of the Opposition last week. We are looking at issues such as social housing. I think one of the, while many people focus on the issue of cladding uh, and, uh, and the building standards actually it was the fact that the people's voices were not being held heard from that social housing. That is a particular concern, and ensuring we have the right approach in relation to uh, regulation there is, uh, is important. And on sprinklers, the recommendation after Lackanell was not that every uh, property over a certain, uh, a certain height should have sprinklers uh, retrofitted, and it is important to be clear about that.
0: Jacob Rees-Mogg. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. On the 15th of May, My right honourable friend welcomed a decision by NICE to allow the drug Spinraza, which is for spinal muscular atrophy, to be prescribed, including, we thought, to my constituent, the grandson of Mrs Ogborne. NICE has now written to Mrs Ogborne to say that they accept that the news story that appeared on the NICE website was not clear enough. That is code for saying my constituent's grandson will not receive this drug. When NICE says something, can it be ensured that it does it and that bureaucratic flannel does not raise people's hope then to doubt
1: it? Yeah, yeah. I say to my Honourable friend, I'm very concerned to hear the case that he has brought before the House of uh, his constituent and in relation to Spinraza. I will ensure that this is looked into. If NICE says that uh, Spinraza is available, then obviously it should stand by its word.
0: If the Honourable Sir. Gentleman doesn't get a result and he wants it to be debated again before the summer recess, let me tell him it will be debated. He can be quite certain of that. Tonya Antoniazzi.
1: Go on, Thank you, Mr Speaker. In a recently aired BBC Scotland documentary on medical cannabis, the chair of the BPNA, Finbarr O'Callaghan, said that the NHS will not pay for life-changing medical cannabis for epileptic children by saying, even if you prescribe the product, the NHS isn't going to pay for it. Is his statement correct, Prime Minister? I've uh, answered questions on this in the past, including, I think, from the Honourable Lady. Uh, The Government has changed the law. Specialist doctors on the General Medical Council's specialist register can now prescribe cannabis-based products for medicinal use where there is clinical evidence of benefit. And NHS England and the Chief Medical Officer have made it clear that cannabis-based products can be prescribed for medicinal use in appropriate cases. But obviously we need to trust doctors to make clinical decisions in the best interests of patients.
2: Alex Shelbrook. Thank you. Mr. Speaker. Mr Speaker, on Thursday I was able in the adjournment debate to describe the barbaric treatment that my father-in-law received at a clinic in Barbados that ultimately led to his death. Mr Speaker, it shows the influence of this chamber that I've been contacted by many people from around the country who now want to talk to me about similar issues and this morning, Mr Speaker, I've been contacted by a resident of Barbados. Who has said to me that actually the practices that go on this clinic by Dr. Alfred Spalman are far more horrific than we would recognise? May I ask my right honourable right friend if she'd either meet with me or the relevant Department of Government so that I may um, inquire as to how we can work with Barbadian authorities to shut this man down and make sure that what happened to my father in law cannot happen to any other citizen?
1: Can I say to my honourable friend, I I remember the conversation he and I had when uh, this happened in relation to his father in law and the the obviously terrible tragedy that took place. I will certainly ensure that the uh, proper department is able to, to, uh, ministers from the proper department are able to sit down with him and explore the issue that he has raised. Thank you. Marion Fellows. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Figures released today show there are currently £973
2: million worth. Of arrears owed under the Child Maintenance Service. And while new enforcement powers are welcome, CMS's
1: bark continues to be worse than its bite. The UK government must crack down on non payment of maintenance to children and do it now. Will the Prime
2: Minister agree to launch a full root and branch review of CMS to ensure a new strategy where maintenance payments are properly enforced and to lift these children, who in many cases will? are in
1: poverty because of lack of maintenance payments. The the Honourable Lady is right that we want to ensure that those maintenance payments are indeed made for those children, that that, uh, people, normally it's fathers but it can in some cases be mothers, but that they take their responsibilities seriously and recognise their responsibilities. This is a difficult area. For many years efforts have been made by different governments to ensure that we get this right and that we ensure that those maintenance payments Made. I'm sure every member of this House has had constituency cases in relation to this, uh, in relation to this issue. The simplified system that, that was brought in in recent years, I think, has been working better than the previous system. But I'll ensure that the, department, uh, the relevant department looks at the case issue she's raised. Well, how fun yeah. um, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, in Harlow, my constituency, many horses and ponies are tied up and
0: tethered by the roadside, maltreated put in dangerous locations, often without access to food and water. Will the Prime Minister work to end the suffering of these beautiful animals and amend the current outdated Animal welfare act and code of practice for the welfare of horses so that clarifies what the government's powers are and what the duties of
1: local authorities to intervene and will she urge the RSPCA to treat this as a major concern yes. well, I think uh, the honourable gentleman has raised uh, an issue which is important, the, I will certainly ensure that the department looks at the issue that he's raised about the definitions in uh, the legislation and I would hope that the RSPCA would take this seriously, uh, as seriously as they take the ill treatment of other Animals.
0: Peter Grant. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Last week, a brain tumour ended the life of Sarah Wands from Mark Inch, in my constituency. Sarah was 44 years old, a brilliantly gifted young mathematician and statistician, tiny in physical stature, but a towering giant if measured by any qualities that matter. Does the Prime Minister share my hope that funding for brain tumour research will be increased? to bring forward the day that other families are not affected as the ones family have been.
1: Can I say to the honourable gentleman obviously he's raised a very very sad case and uh, a life that was full of from what he says was full of great promise has been sadly cut short and our thoughts and prayers are with the family of the individual concerned. Uh, We have been putting more money into uh, Research in relation to brain tumours. Um, this is an important area. Uh, it is one on which uh, my right honourable friend, the former uh, Health Secretary, started some extra work being done within the NHS. That is continuing. But he's raised a very important issue, and as I say, our thoughts and prayers are with all those affected by this case.
0: Julian Keegan.
1: Thank you Mr Speaker. Um, one in two people in the UK now develop cancer at some point in their lifetimes, and around 60% of them will require radiotherapy as part of their treatment. In West Sussex, we don't have a single Linux machine. Um, Meaning my constituents travel long distances every day for treatment and it's not only costly but of course is gruelling when you are feeling so unwell. The, can the Prime Minister outline what steps the government is taking to ensure my constituents have the same access to medical care as others in adjacent counties well I, I fully recognize the concern that the honourable lady has raised of course uh, looking at how we deal with uh, cancer how we treat cancer is one of the issues in the NHS long term plan which the NHS is putting a focus on I recognize the concern for those who have to uh, have to travel long distances to receive this treatment as uh, my honourable friend has said it 's not just uh, often expensive for them, but it is difficult for them and gruelling for them in their, uh, obviously at the, uh, in the health st- state of health that they are. Um, and this is something that I think will be looked at as part of the future uh, programmes for the NHS. Finally,
0: Mr Nigel Dobbs. Mr Speaker, will, uh, the Prime Minister will be aware, as indeed the whole House will be, of the long-standing campaign for justice and compensation by victims of the Libyan-sponsored uh, IRA terrorism in Northern Ireland, and indeed throughout the UK. US citizens have been compensated by the Libyan uh, authorities, but the UK citizens have not. There are 12 billion pounds held frozen in frozen assets in the United <laughs> Kingdom. 17 million pounds has been recovered in tax on that money in the last three years. Will she undertake to use that money to help the victims and ensure the special representative who has been appointed will work closely with the victims to obtain the justice that those victims rightly deserve.
1: The right honourable gentleman is absolutely right in raising the issue of the justice that these victims deserve. Um, The issue he's raised is one that I have raised myself with the Libyan government in the the past. Um, I will certainly ensure that the special representative is able to make every effort to to, uh, ensure that the victims get uh, that to which they are entitled, and that he does work with the victims in doing that. It's important that their voice is an absolutely crucial part of this.
0: Order.